You may be seated. Let's get our Bibles out and let's turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, as we continue our study through the Ten Commandments. Oh, I wanted to mention too, by the way, something important is going to be going on this coming Tuesday. We've got an election. Have you heard about it yet? We've got an election, and I want to encourage each one of you to get out and vote. As a matter of fact, to help you make your decisions, I would never tell you how to vote, but to make your, help you make your decisions, we've, we've got uh, a little voter guide in the announcement sheet here, and, and you can look and you can see where President Bush, uh, that's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it, President Bush? <laughs> where he lines up on all these critical issues, abortion and homosexual marriage and all these different issues, and, and then where the other guy lines up on these things. And, and so you can just kind of look at it. You can just kind of go back and forth and make up your own mind. Nobody would want to, you know, influence you at all. Just make up your own mind, see where God's Word stands on these issues, and then just see where these candidates stand. And let me also encourage you, you know, there's going to be an amendment on the ballot uh, asking us a referendum on what we think about, um, you know, same-sex marriage and whether that should be legal in our country. And I, I really believe that, uh, that as far as God is concerned, God's plan from the very beginning was one man and one woman in a lifelong relationship. That's God's pat- pattern, and that's God's plan for marriage. And I believe it's right and good and noble for us to stand for that and to seek to see that happen in our society and to see that recognized in our society. It's been our way of life for, uh, since the beginning of our country, and I think it should con- continue to be, and I think we have an opportunity to let our voice be heard and uh, our opinions known. So by all means, get out and vote on Tuesday. Cast your ballot. Uh, as a Christian, we need to be involved in that process. We're in Exodus chapter 20, and this morning we're looking at the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Usually shopping for diamonds is a very deliberate, a very time-consuming task. You see, diamonds are expensive, and most folks really want to make the right purchase. That's why the man in the jewelry store that day, looking for a diamond bracelet, was noticeable. He was hurried. He was impatient. He was rushing around from one display case to the other display case, scanning for a bracelet. And rather than take his time, rather than browse, this harried shopper, he was all business. The man acted like price was no object. It seemed like the details and the design of the bracelet were unimportant to him. He just wanted the curator to snap to it, to get on with it, to speed up the transaction. This frantic fellow... He wanted a diamond bracelet, and he wanted it fast. And though the jeweler was happy to oblige, he was sort of curious about this man's shopping habits. Why be in such a big hurry when you're shopping for a diamond bracelet? But it all made perfect sense after he asked the man. The man responded. He said, well, I forgot my wedding anniversary today, and my wife thinks I'm taking out the trash. Hey, as all married people know, wedding anniversaries are an occasion that couples set aside to celebrate their love for each other. It's a time to be together, to have fun together, to enjoy each other. An anniversary is an opportunity for busy married people to set aside daily pursuits and relish their relationship. And that's why forgetting an anniversary is a serious infraction. I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, but I was wondering... How many of you have ever forgotten a wedding anniversary? Forgetting a wedding anniversary is not the unpardonable sin, but it's close. Your anniversary is one of the most important dates on your calendar. Forget it and you send the wrong message. Your honey assumes that you don't care about your marriage. You've prioritized other things instead. Neglecting an anniversary sends a serious chill over a relationship. It definitely dims the marriage fires. And this is what the fourth commandment is in essence all about. God establishes a weekly anniversary with His bride, you and me. 
God wants us to set aside one day in seven to spend time with Him and have fun with Him and enjoy our fellowship with Him. You see, the Sabbath is more than a day of rest. It's a day to rest with God. In a sense, it's a wedding anniversary, a celebration of His love for me and my love for Him. And to break the fourth commandment is a serious violation, for it sends the wrong message to God. It calls into question God's place on our pecking order. It indicates that we've prioritized certain things and made them more important to us than God. Let me go as far as to say that to break the fourth commandment is in essence breaking the heart of the God who loves you and died for you. You see, the first commandment says only one God. The second teaches us how to approach this one God with right worship. The third commandment instructs us to take God seriously. Now the fourth of God's top ten commands us to stop and to relax and to learn to rest with God. God knew that the rigors and the demands of work would consume much of our time, so He commanded us to set apart one day in seven to retreat from work and to spend time with Him and to remind ourselves of what life is really all about. God wants us in a weekly rhythm. It's a healthy rhythm that causes life to go smoother. For six days we make a living. On the seventh we rediscover what life is all about. This morning I want to read our text and then I want to make six comments on the fourth commandment. The Sabbath is God's design. Second, the Sabbath is a Jewish sign. Third, it's today's lifeline. It's the believer's guideline. It's faith's bottom line. And in the long run, it's a spiritual gold mine. I've got six comments on the Sabbath and then I'll rest. But first, let's read Exodus chapter 20 and begin in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant, nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Verse 11 makes it clear that the Sabbath was God's design. You know, it's interesting that most of the ways that we divide time are based on astronomical phenomena. Months and years and days are all tied to celestial movements. But the seven-day week, though universal, is still arbitrary. Why do we structure our week in seven days? The only explanation for that is that it was God's design. God worked six days, and then on the seventh day, He rested. When we read that God rested the seventh day, don't think that God rested because He was tired. Because He was burned out and worn out from His creative work. God didn't stretch His hands at the end of the sixth day over His head and then sort of sigh, Oh boy, I'm exhausted. I need a nap. At the end of the sixth day, don't think that God ran out of effort or out of ideas, not hardly. Isaiah 40 verse 28 asks the question, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God didn't create the universe and then sigh, T-M-I-F. Thank me it's Friday. God never needs a day off. Remember, though, what God created at the end of the sixth day. He created the man. He created the woman. And when God saw his crowning achievement, in essence, he said, that's enough. All God's creation was leading up and was designed to support man's life and livelihood on the earth. But when the man was created, God stopped his creative work. And all that was left for God at that point was to enjoy 
these humans that he had created. So God rested. Not because he was tired, but because he wanted to hang out with this man and woman, with Adam and Eve. He loved us, and he wanted to spend time with us. That's why he rested. You see, Adam's first full day on earth, remember, was a Sabbath. It was a day to rest with God. Even though it was God's plan for Adam to work, from the beginning, God never intended for Adam to find his life in his work. His fulfillment, his satisfaction were found in God. His joy and purpose were realized when he rested with God. For Adam, life started with God. It's interesting that God worked, then rested, but man rested, then worked. Adam's work was supposed to be the expression of his love for God and his service to God, but it was never intended to take the place of spending time with God. For Adam, that was most important. You see, for many reasons, God wants us to rest one day in seven. Unlike God, we are not omnipotent and omniscient. We will burn out and wear out if not rejuvenated. This is why part of the commandment is to do no work. But that's only a byproduct of the commandment. The main point is for us to rest with God. God spent six days getting this world ready for us. But when man was created, God didn't miss the point. God stopped creating. And he enjoyed his creation. And likewise, we spend six days working for God in whatever places he puts us. But let us not miss the point either. Our labor is just a means to accentuate our worship, to bring God glory. First and foremost, God wants us to enjoy Him and rest with Him. And that's why He gives us this one day in seven. You see, the Sabbath is God's design. But it was also a Jewish sign. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 16, God said to Moses, Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath was a sign of God's relationship with the Jews. It was a reminder of the covenant that he had made with Moses. Remember, whenever God made a covenant, he always confirmed it with a sign. God's covenant with Noah. It came with a rainbow in the sky, didn't it? His covenant with Abraham was sealed with a surgical procedure. The practice of circumcision. God's covenant with David came with the promise of a virgin who would give birth to a son. And God's covenant with those of us who believe in Jesus is sealed with the Holy Spirit. But for the Jews who followed Moses, the sign of God's covenant was the Sabbath. Of all the ancient cultures, the Jews alone set aside one day in seven to rest and worship. It was a sign of their special relationship with God. It became a part of their national and racial identity. This is why the Jews were so zealous at keeping the Sabbath. In Numbers chapter 15, you'll find the story of a man who was out collecting, collecting sticks on the Sabbath day. This man was arrested and he was brought to Moses to be sentenced. And there the Lord spoke to Moses and said, The man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. Obviously, God meant for the Jews to take the Sabbath seriously. It was a solemn duty to remember this day and to keep it holy. But as usual, the Jews went overboard in their compliance. You see, look at these instructions here in Exodus chapter 20. They're broad. They're generic, aren't they? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Do no work. But from those general statements, the Jews drew thousands of specific stipulations. In the Mishnah, which was a commentary on the Jewish law, the rabbis listed 39 potential Sabbath violations. And then they added 39 ways to break each of those 39 violations. They ended up with a total of 39 times 39, or 1,521 different ways that you could break the Sabbath day. You couldn't carry a burden on the Sabbath. That would be work. But that meant that you couldn't carry an overcoat with you when you left the house because it might get hot. And you'd be tempted to take off that overcoat. 
And you'd have to carry it around your arm, and therefore you'd be carrying a burden, and that would be work. So you couldn't take an overcoat with you in the morning. Tying a knot was considered work on the Sabbath. Thus you were prohibited from tying a rope to a bucket and drawing water from a well. But for some reason, I don't know why, a woman's girdle could be tied with a knot. And so what the Jewish people would do is that they would tie the rope to the girdle, and then they would tie the girdle to the, to the bucket, and therefore they would be able to draw water from the well on the Sabbath day. According to the rabbis, you couldn't kill a flea on the Sabbath day. They said that Saturday was the flea's day off. You couldn't look in a mirror. You might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it. That would be a violation of the Sabbath day. That would be work. There was no bathing on the Sabbath day. You couldn't spit on the dirt on the Sabbath day. Because accidentally your shoe might scuff that dirt. And you would be plowing. And so you couldn't spit on the dirt. You had to, if you wanted to spit on the Sabbath day, you had to spit on a rock. These were all examples of what the Jews did to the Sabbath day. They took it out of proportion. They made it into something God never intended. And Jesus corrected the Jews. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, when they criticized him and his disciples for ignoring their stipulations, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was intended as a blessing from God. It was a day of rest. It was given to us for us. But hey, the Jews had turned it into a burden, not a blessing. You see, the Sabbath was a weekly reminder that we were made to fellowship with God. What a needed reminder. One day in seven, God wanted His people to rest with Him. But sadly, the burdensome way that the Jews applied the Sabbath created more stress than rest. And that's why after 1,500 years of Sabbath keeping, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 tells us, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. All the Jews' stringent law keeping couldn't earn God's rest. It was only on the cross that Jesus earned for us a Sabbath rest. Through Jesus, we can fellowship with God. We can discover what life is really all about. Ultimately, the Sabbath was intended to point people to Jesus. This is why the New Testament tells us that we're no longer under the obligation of making one day more special than another. There are two verses that really hammers this home. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 tell us, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Hey, now that the reality, Jesus Christ has come, why hold on to the ritual? Don't fall in love with the symbol and neglect the Savior. Here's another verse, Romans chapter 14, verse 5. It says, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, he's saying some people set aside one day to worship God. Some people set aside every day to worship God. The vital point is that we worship God as the Spirit leads each one of us. Guys, don't let anyone lay a heavy burden on you. Don't believe it when the legalist or the cultist says that you ought to worship on Saturday, and if you don't, you're going to hell. The Sabbath was a Jewish sign, not a Christian requirement. Our Sabbath rest is not found in a day of the week. It is found in our relationship with our Lord Jesus. But you see, the Sabbath is also today's lifeline. For even though we're not under the obligation or burden of the Sabbath, it would be foolish for us to ignore its wisdom. For in the beginning, God created a rhythm for life. Work six days and rest on the seventh. Work and rest. Work and worship. We go out into the workplace and we labor by the sweat of our brow. We toil and scratch out a living for ourselves and for our families. We battle the thorns and thistles out there. and We literally work ourselves to death. But then one day in seven we stop. We stop to remember why it is we work in the first place. And who it is we work to glorify. The Sabbath is a lifeline that God throws out to a tired and weary and worn out world. Drowning in a sea of stress and busyness and deadlines and despair. The Sabbath principle is the rhythm of a healthy and balanced 
and manageable life. A story is told of two men who were clearing trees. Their contract with the owner of the land called for each man to be paid per tree. Bill needed the money badly. And so Bill spent the whole day grunting and sweating and swinging his axe relentlessly. Ed, on the other hand, he seemed to be working half as fast. In fact, Ed took frequent breaks. Bill refused to take any break at all. And what a surprise when at the end of the day, laid-back Ed was paid more money than aggressive Bill. Ed had chopped down more trees. And he wasn't nearly as sore or as tired as counterpart. And Bill wanted to know his secret. How did you do it? And that's when Ed smiled and said, You didn't notice, but while I was resting, I was sharpening my axe. That is what you do when you take a break one day a week. You sharpen your axe. You rejuvenate. You invigorate. You allow yourself to relax and to be refreshed. God created us and He designed us to function best by taking a rest. Any archer knows the bow that is always bent ceases to shoot straight. You need to loosen your string from time to time. Relax the tension on the bow or else it will warp and crack. And the same is true with us. If we're constantly under the gun, our perspective will warp. Our psyche will crack. Even our health will fail. Guys, it's true. Take a break. Our life will break you. We need time off to unwind and to kick back, to renew our strength, to get the creative juices percolating again. And this is why the Sabbath is God's gift to us. It's a mini vacation that God has embedded into every week of the year. But it's up to you to take it. It's up to you to keep it. Understand, when these words were first uttered, the fourth commandment didn't sound like a commandment at all. In fact, it was received initially as a luxurious benefit. Remember the Hebrews who were standing at the base of Mount Sinai, hearing God speak these words from the mountain. They had not had a day off for 400 years. The Egyptians were cruel taskmasters who required round-the-clock labor. Their slaves worked seven days a week, every day of the year. In Egypt, there was no such thing as a 40-hour week or as two weeks vacation or as comp time or paid leave or even the weekend. For 400 years, these Hebrews had worked every single day. And now, God delivers them from slavery. He takes them out of harsh bondage. He becomes their new master. And instantly, they realize that things are going to be different. That God is a benevolent boss. That serving God will not be anything like serving the Pharaoh. Because before God tells them anything to do, He tells them to take one day off every seven days. This is music to their ears. It's amazing to me that we don't have that same elated reaction when we read of the Sabbath. When most of us read the fourth commandment, we start thinking of what we might have to stop doing. Or what we might have to give up to comply. We all do live in a 24-7 world, don't we? Someone might say, well, my competitors, they don't stop working. Neither can I. Sunday's a profitable day. I can't afford to lose those sales. Hey, Sunday is my only day to get some things done around the house. We all have our excuses. When Bill Gates was asked why he didn't believe in God, his answer was far more utilitarian than it was philosophical. He said this, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Some of us have fought those same feelings, haven't we? Type A personalities, go-getters, trendsetters, highly driven, motivated people are often breakers of the fourth commandment until they get broken. It's interesting, but as far back as Roman times, the fourth commandment was mocked by the Gentiles. The Romans noticed this Jewish practice of Sabbath-keeping, of taking a day of rest in every week. And they accused the Jews of being lazy and slothful for only wanting to work six days, not seven. The engineers of the French Revolution wanted to create a secular society. And one of the changes they instilled was a seven-day work week. They didn't think a day of rest was needed 
They considered it an archaic rule of religion. This was also the attitude of the architects of communism. They too instituted a seven-day work week, but in both cases the move backfired. The workers became inefficient and worn out and burned out. In fact, some of the most tragic accidents in recent years, the Exxon Valdez, Three Mile Island, the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, the navigational error that led to the shooting down of that Korean Airlines flight 007, even the crash of the Challenger space shuttle was the direct result of overwork, exhausted, stress-fatigued employees trying to make decisions without the benefit of their full faculties. You see, today's efficiency experts now agree with God's fourth commandment. When people take vacations and take time off and make weekly breaks and even breaks in the day to reflect and relax, productivity goes up, concentration increases, there's higher morale. There is wisdom behind the fourth commandment, and we ignore it to our own peril. Here is God's answer to the workaholic. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The fourth commandment, you see, is a lifeline that God has thrown to us to save us from this mad rush we're in. But it's also the believer's guideline. Verses 8 through 11 give us some practical pointers for applying a day of rest and worship to our busy modern lives. As we mentioned earlier, whether you rest and worship on Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, it really doesn't matter to God. As long as you take one day in seven to relax and unwind and to undergo some recreation. The word Sabbath means simply to cease or to stop or to rest. The word holy means to set apart or to make different. Thus, to keep the Sabbath day holy is to cease from your regular routine and do something you don't normally do on that day. If you sit at a desk six days a week, then getting outside and jogging or riding a bike or playing basketball might be a good way to spend some of your Sabbath. If you work a job that requires manual labor, then a good way to celebrate your Sabbath might be to take a nap. Break with the routine. Make the day special and different. Every Christian's week should consist of three activities. I hope you do three things throughout your week. Work, leisure, and spiritual growth. Read your Bible. Pray. You know, in essence, we all work, we pray, and we play. But if you're like most folks, from day one to day six, work consumes most of your time. That means on your special day. On the day that you want to keep holy to the Lord, you need to stop the working and doing the activity that you do the other six days and spend that day with God, both praying and playing. The Sabbath should be a diversion. In his book, Confessions of a Former Sabbath Breaker, Eugene Peterson writes, Keeping a Sabbath is simple and easy. We pray and we play. Two things we were pretty good at as children and can always pick up again with a little encouragement and if we can only find the time. But we don't have to find the time. It's given to us. A day a week. A Sabbath. A day to pray and play. God's gift. Here's the first half of the guideline. You keep the Sabbath holy when you change up your routine. Rather than work, spend time on what you enjoy. That's how you keep a Sabbath day holy. The Sabbath is a day of rest, but that's not all. It's also a day to rest with God. Make sure that whatever you do, you do it with God. If you go out jogging or boating, take along a little Walkman where you can play some Christian music or a Bible teaching tape. Spend that time with God. The Sabbath is a day of worship, not just a day of play. It's a day to play and pray. If you want to walk off and leave God behind, what's the point? You see, here's the error we often make. We mistake recreation for recreation. Guys, we need recreation, not just recreation. The Sabbath is not just a day for recreation, for fun and for relaxing activities. That can be part of the day, certainly. 
But there also needs to be some recreation. God sent Adam out to work and tend the garden. But God wanted Adam to return to him one day in seven to spend time with his creator and to remember why he was created in the first place. When God created Adam, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And every seventh day, God wanted Adam to catch his breath and return to his creator, the source of his life, to be spiritually refreshed. It was recreation, not just recreation. Years ago, Pennsylvania miners used to use mules to haul coal. And many of the animals lived their whole lives underground. They never saw daylight. And before long, they became blind. And these miners discovered that the key to saving their eyesight was to bring them above ground one day in seven. The mules were brought up each Sunday. That's why you and I need to come above ground on Sundays. To leave behind the darkness of the office and the daily grind and the oppressive world and get up into the light. To bask in the light of God's Word. To enjoy the fresh air of worship. To rediscover heaven's viewpoint. You need it. God commands it. At least one day in seven. The Puritan preacher Thomas Watson, he used to say of the Sabbath, this day, is a Christ, this day a Christian is in the altitudes. He walks with God and takes, as it were, a turn with Him in heaven. The heart which all the week was frozen on the Sabbath melts with the Word. You see, this is the goal of any anniversary, isn't it? To renew the relationship. And this is God's desire for you. This is why the Sabbath celebrations in the Old Testament all involve the coming together of fellow believers. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 3 refers to the Sabbath as a holy convocation or a gathering of people. This was the practice followed by the early church. They met together once a week to celebrate together their wedding anniversary. They were the bride of Christ. And notice it's not brides. It's never brides of Christ in the New Testament. Not plural. It's always bride, singular. Together we are wedded to Christ. So it's only appropriate that we celebrate that wedding by coming together. And no longer did the early church meet on Saturday. The Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday, actually from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But because Jesus rose from the dead, the Christians met on the first day of the week. Early Christians met on Sunday, not Saturday. Every Sunday became sort of a mini Easter, a celebration of the resurrection. In fact, three times in the New Testament, a reference is made to the church coming together on Sunday. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, and in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. In fact, in the verse in Revelation, Sunday is referred to for the very first time as the Lord's Day. Again, you don't have to set aside Sunday as your day of worship. Any day will do. But why wouldn't you want to set aside Sunday? It's the day we all meet together to study the Bible and to worship, and to fellowship, and encourage one another. Guys, I don't believe that you can make the day special. That you can make this day special and holy, as holy as God desires, without including on your Sabbath day a meeting with God's people. Simply put, a big part of keeping the Sabbath day holy is coming to church with other believers. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 is a familiar passage. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Meeting together to study God's Word, to pray, to worship, is part of the recreation that should occur on the Sabbath. Remember from our previous studies on the Ten Commandments, I've referred to these commandments as non-negotiables. You see, the Ten Commandments that God thundered from Mount Sinai are ten convictions, non-negotiables, that God wants for each of His kids. God's top ten are guideposts that steer us through life. Here are ten decisions that you need to make beforehand, that you need to make in advance. These ten negotiables are not for sale. 
I'm going to guard my heart. And I'm going to reserve my worship, my devotion for one God. I'm going to worship that God the right way. I'm going to worship the right God the right way, in the way that God wants to be worshipped, not just in the way that's convenient for me. I'm going to take God seriously. And I'm going to start by watching what comes out of my mouth, particularly how I treat God's name. And then here, this fourth commandment. I'm going to set aside one day in seven, hopefully Sunday, to meet with God's people, to rest with God, and to seek His recreation in my life. Let me warn you. If you want to keep the Sabbath day holy, you have to make it a non-negotiable. You've got to decide in advance that you're going to come to church on Sundays, that it's going to be your family's top priority. You're not going to compromise except for emergencies or special situations. You have to decide this up front is my point. I realize that there are circumstances that come up that are beyond our control. An emergency at work or a sickness or perhaps a rain out or maybe an occasional tournament we might have our kids involved in. Each person has to be guided by the Holy Spirit in this area. But if I agree to a job where I know in advance that I'm going to miss every single Sunday, or if I sign my kids up for some sports team where I know they're going to miss church more than they're going to make it to church, how can I really say that this is a non-negotiable in my life? I'm fooling myself to think that I've committed to giving one day in seven to God. This is why you have to decide in advance and then stick to your decision. Trust me, if you wait till Saturday night to decide if you're going to come to church on Sunday morning, most of the time you won't attend. Something is sure to pop up. If you take this attitude, well, I'll go to church if there's nothing better to do, well, then you'll always probably find something that you think is better to do. Or if you say, oh, I'll try to make it every other week, or I'll try to make it a few times a month, hey, you probably won't make it at all. God wants you to make one day in seven. He wants you to set that aside, to spend time with Him, to rest with Him. And if you're going to obey that command regularly, you've got to make it a non-negotiable. Well, there are two more points that I want to make about this fourth commandment. They'll both be brief. The fifth truth is that this commandment is faith's bottom line. There, this is where the rubber meets the road. You see, it's easy to talk about my love for God, my devotion to God. But what does it say if I consistently miss my anniversary? What does that say? About my devotion, about my love. How many of you have small kids at home? How many? Great. How many of you know what's meant by the phrase bedtime battle? Yep. It's time for little Johnny to go to bed, to get his rest. But little Johnny wants to stay up and watch the World Series. I mean, this is the teenage version of the bedtime battle, what I'm kind of dealing with these days. The smaller version of the teenage, the smaller child version of the bedtime battle, it happens around 8 o'clock or so. You march your little one to bed, you pray, you read a Bible verse, you tuck him under the sheets. You leave the room, but is that the end of the story? Not hardly. Mommy, I need to brush my teeth. Mommy, I'm scared. Can I sleep in your room? Mommy, I'm hungry. Mommy, I'm thirsty. I need a drink, Mommy. Can I get a glass of water? Did you hear about the little boy who asked for a glass of water for the 10,000th time? Finally, his dad fired back. If you ask me again for a glass of water, I'm going to come in there and spank your bottom. Well, five or ten minutes passed when a feeble little voice sort of muttered from the bedroom, Daddy, when you come in here to spank me, do you mind bringing me a glass of water? <laughs> hey, when you put your child into that bed, it's an act of love. You know if they don't get the proper amount of rest that they're going to be ornery. They're going to be grumpy the next day. You put them into the bed for their own good, and yet they buck. They, they claim not to need that rest. And I wonder, 
I wonder if this is how God sees the excuses that we muster to ignore this fourth commandment. When we refuse to stay in bed and get the rest that God knows we need, I wonder if breaking the Sabbath is really just an adult version of the bedtime battle. Guys, here's the bottom line. The fourth commandment tests our faith. Keeping the Sabbath holy is like tithing my money. They both test my faith. How can I trust God with my finances if I don't believe that He can do more with 90% than I can do with a 100%? Giving God 10% of my income is my way of saying that God owns all that I have. It takes my hands off my finances. It puts God in charge. And what is the Sabbath but a tithe of our time? Of course, time is more valuable than money. And that's why God wants a seventh of our time. But it's the same principle. All time is a gift from God. And God wants me to thank Him for that gift by giving to Him back a portion of what He's given me. Hey, God wants me to trust Him with my time. Every bit as much as He wants me to trust Him with my money. Robert Rayburn, he tells the story of a man who approached a beggar on the street. And the kind fellow decided to help this homeless person. So he reached into the pocket to find out how much money he had on him, and he pulled out seven $1 bills. He figured that he would probably need bus fare home, so he kept behind one of the bills, and he gave the beggar the other $6 bills. Well, the homeless man grabbed the six bills, turned around and slapped this kind fellow across the face, grabbing the seventh bill too, and then running off. Guys, when you hear that story, how do you think about that homeless fellow? What do you think about him? He's a dirty scoundrel, isn't he? But are we much different when we take all seven days of the week for ourselves? God could have asked for three days a week or four days a week to be devoted to him. God only asked for one day. He's given us six full days a week. All he asked from us is just one day. Are we any less of a scoundrel by grabbing that day? along with the other six for ourselves? Here's my sixth point, and then I'll rest. This fourth commandment is a gold mine. It's a spiritual gold mine. As I've inferred throughout, here is the key that unlocks incredible blessings. When I take one day in seven to rest with God, miracles happen in my life. I live with supernatural power. I have boundless energy. I have no shortage of ideas and creative solutions. My thoughts are permeated with the wisdom of God. You see, some of us have been ignoring and neglecting this commandment, and we wonder why God isn't restoring us and reviving us like He promised. How can He when we get out of sync with this divine rhythm? Notice verse 8 opens, Remember the Sabbath day. To the Hebrews at Mount Sinai, This referred back to an experience in their not-too-distant past. For just a few weeks earlier, in Exodus 16, God had sent manna to feed the three million Jews out in the desert. Manna was miracle food, remember? The psalmist calls it angel's food. Apparently, it was the food the angels ate. It's the original angel's food cake. I'm sure it was good, and I'm more sure that it was good for you. But God promised enough manna to feed the multitude six days a week. Each day they went out and they gathered enough for that day's portion, except for the sixth day. For since the Sabbath was a day of rest, the Sabbath day, the seventh day was the day of rest, God promised to provide a double portion on the sixth day, enough that would last for two days so they wouldn't have to go out and gather on the Sabbath. But... There were a few type A personalities in the crowd. They didn't need a Sabbath rest, or so they thought. They were go-getters. You know, they were real entrepreneurs. Any chance to get ahead, they were ready to pounce on it. And they thought, wow, why don't we just go out and we'll gather up extra on the Sabbath day. And they violated the fourth commandment. And in Exodus chapter 16, verse 27, we're told, Now it happened that some of the people went out on the Sabbath day to gather, but they found none. I hope you'll remember that. 
but they found none. In the long run, that's what you get whenever you violate the fourth commandment. Right now, by working on Sunday, while working on seven days a week, right now you're getting a few more things done that you thought needed to get done. But when you don't rest with God on a regular basis, eventually your life is going to dry up. The pursuits that are exciting you now eventually are going to become boring and unfulfilling and unsatisfying. Without God's rest and recreation, the earthly pursuits that you're so immersed in right now will one day turn into a dead end. You'll discover they were nothing at all. In contrast, let me read to you Isaiah 58 verse 13. Here God says to His people, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, in other words, if you stop running around and working on my day of rest, if you stop from doing your pleasure on my holy day, And call the Sabbath a delight. If you just accept this and settle into it and rejoice with it and go with it. And consider the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable. And shall honor Him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. And feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, if you keep this Sabbath day celebration, if you take one day in seven and give it to God, God promises you high heels and lush heritage. In other words, He promises to promote you and to provide for you if you'll take one day in seven and give it to Him. This is why I say the fourth commandment is a gold mine. Guys, here is a non-negotiable. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Or another way to say it, whatever you do, don't forget your anniversary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for these Ten Commandments. Lord, help us to take these truths and make them non-negotiables in our lives Help us to make these convictions of heart. Help us, Lord, to decide in advance that this is how we want to live. Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we could learn to get in sync with the rhythm of life that you've created. That Rather than try to push it and press it constantly, help us, Lord, to learn to kick back and relax one day in seven and to rest with you. Lord, help us to seek not just recreation, but recreation on that day. Help us, Lord, to come back to you and catch a fresh wind of your spirit and have you revive us and renew us and remind us of what life is really all about. We thank you for today. We pray, Lord, you'll make it a blessed day for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Don't forget that tonight, there will be no Bible study here in the sanctuary, but we're having our Hallelujah Festival for all of our kids. Uh, it's, uh, we'll have an exciting time. We'll have a big carnival thing kind of set up on the uh, back, back here on the slab. We've got uh, all the inflatable things coming. James, what kind of uh, inflatable things do we have coming in here t- tonight? we got like the slide and like the little whopper hopper thing and all that kind of thing. Is, uh, is Tommy bringing his radar gun up here tonight to, to time how fast I can throw how my fastball? Are we, are we doing the radar gun thing tonight? We have the radar gun. Are we doing the radar gun? Good, good. Your kids will have to wait in line behind me on the radar gun, but, <laughs> but we'll have the radar gun and, and lot of, lots of things. To, lot, lots of things, Anna. What, anything you want to add? Great. Do we have a dunking booth like for Pastor James to be in the dunking booth? No dunking booth tonight? Okay. Anyway, we're going to have a great time tonight. 
Uh, also, our high school kids are having a, a, a party tonight over at the Porters, I understand, at 7.30. So 6 o'clock here, for the, 7.30 for the high school kids over at the uh, Porters. Uh, we're going to have a great time tonight. And giving these kids just an alternative to the normal trick-or-treating kind of thing, giving them a Christian alternative where they can come in a wholesome atmosphere and have a lot of fun and, and get plenty of candy to boot. So let's go out with a song of praise. God bless you guys. Holy, holy, Lord Almighty, was and is to come. God of glory, you're so worthy, all the saints bow down. Holy is your name in all the earth, righteous are your ways, so merciful. Everything you've done. God bless you in this place.